A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago. If you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released, it's time to join us. That means supporting us. It means the price of a pint per month. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Go now, join and become a socio. That means you'll get that extra big interview every month. And you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away, all for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. David Weir. What shone out was that he was from an older school of Scottish football because he was bright. He read games terrifically. He made sure that his career was long, not simply because he ate, what was Gordon Strachan's recipe? Bananas, porridge and honey and nettles? No. David Weir didn't simply stretch and yoga his way to a long career. It was his brain. But... He was also ferociously competitive. And in my eyes, it was a picture book story, a boy's own story. To be, in his own words, not good enough for professional football at age 18. To go to the United States, to land there in the kind of circumstances which would have made an extra plot for the writers of Gregory's Girl or That Sinking Feeling or Local Hero. To survive that, to thrive, to become the elite of American college soccer come back, knock on the door of his local club, be picked, graduate to winning trophies in Scotland, make a huge career in England with Everton, a a mighty club with a proud support, and to tell us, to be able to tell us about characters like Duncan Ferguson, Tommy Gravison, Kev Kilban, Walter Smith, to tell us what it was like to play against Robbie Keane or Freddie Canute, the great strikers of that Premier League era. David Weir is as good a storyteller as he was a match reader. But then, to end up at the club he always supported and to go to a European final with them, well, what that makes is a really good story. We went to his home, we sat down with him, he relaxed and he told us all about it. Here it is. Now, you took quite an unusual route to become a Falkirk player. Which was, well, it's your story, tell it. How the hell did you end up in America as a youngster? And 
Yeah, what happened? By default, really. I think I was. I probably wasn't good enough. You know, majority of Scottish kids growing up want to be professional footballers, want to play for. Damn to you know, Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen, wherever you know, whatever your sort of fancy was. And I um, grew up hoping to be a footballer, and then as I got to sixteen, seventeen, probably realising that I wasn't going to be quite good enough. So didn't really have an idea what I wanted to do. Stayed on at school, still keen on education, still mm. enjoyed school life, and playing for Scotland schoolboys under 18s, which the 15s and 16s were always the best teams. Everybody was still at school and all the best players were in those teams. The 18s was less so, but it was still competitive and still a good level. And we played in England against all the English counties at that tournament, which was in Skegness, um, staying at the Butlins camp, which was a, a right good experience with a bunch of Scottish lads. My red coat days, <laughs> yeah. very good. Um, played a few games and got scouted by an American university. So... Within the space of a week, the coach from the university had been up to my house in Falkirk, met my mum and dad, and I told them that I wanted to go to America. Whoa, 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 whoa. We, need to, we just need to put the, what do they call it on TV, the super slow-mo on this. So, you're at Butlins. Now, what's that all? Do we know any of your contemporaries? I'm trying to think who was in the team. John O'Neill, who had a good career in Scotland. Um... I don't know the last. Rather than famous names, they were of a good level, eh? Yeah, they were good level, and they're all playing at clubs or in and around clubs, you know. So they were mm-hmm. good, good footballers. But this was a fixture that when I was growing up, well, I'm a different age from you, yeah. but this, this was a gigantic fixture. Yeah. Scotland schoolboys against England schoolboys, not the counties. At Wembley was yeah. a sellout game, one of the few, you know, the five six games you saw live in the year. It, it, it was a massive thing to play for Scottish schoolboys, particularly at fifteen, sixteen, but then. The majority of the best players, as you know, leave, become full-time and go, you know, S-forms as it was at the time or scholarships as it is now. So the A-teens were the players that were still in school, still sort of trying to educate themselves. So the level wasn't quite as good, but it was still competitive and still a great experience. And the Butlins thing was just like cheap accommodation. Exactly, yeah. All the teams were there. So we, I think we played Greater London, maybe Nottinghamshire, maybe Manchester. You know, we played probably the better teams so it's Scotland under 18s against these regions in England and everyone was based at this camp Deadly Serious Bed by 10 oh, well Macrobiotic Diet I'm not sure it was quite that there was a little bit of larking yeah, about there was a bit yeah and it, but it was good fun it was you know thinking back I've actually still got a ball I was player of the tournament or whatever or player of our team I've still got the ball and all the lads have signed it with a little messages on it fabulous so it's always nice to look back at things like that so Obviously, if you're playing football in Skegness, I mean, it's, it's obvious now looking back, there's going to be an American university there scouting yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so, first of all, t- how did you hear about this? Well, we, the, the coach basically spoke to our coach and said, you know, we're like a couple of these lads, would they be interested? And then asked me, would you be interested? And I was like, 100%. Yeah, you bet, so, you bet your bottom dollar. What's the next step? So they said, well, we're in the UK for a few days. It was actually an English coach and an American coach. We're in the... UK for a few days let us come up speak to your mum and dad and you know hopefully we can get get this sorted so they basically came up you know within the week turned up on the front door my mum and dad and offered me this opportunity to go to America on a four year scholarship paid for which was great you know Whoa. because it can be an expensive experience so a full scholarship and travelling to a place called Evansville, Indiana which had Centre of the universe. Centre of the universe, exactly that, which I'd never heard of and involved. Bearing in mind, I'd never been abroad at this time. I'd okay. never been in an aeroplane. 
Never been abroad. There's still no internet, so you didn't go to Google. No, not at all. You know, it's just a massive step into the unknown. But I just knew me being me, I knew it was the right thing, and I just had a how you know, man's just man's think told me this is just something innate. Yeah, like just uh, I, I can handle this, or yeah. it'll be right for me. Or yeah. I just wanted to do it. It just seemed like football was kind of in the background, not in the background, but it was there, but it wasn't going to be a career. Education was there, but I hadn't really found anything that was perfect. I was talking about going to a couple of universities in England, but wasn't sure. And then this just came right in the middle, and I thought, this ticks all the boxes. Now, your parents have been very, very, very important in your life. But how do they greet this news? And, and how do they talk to their son about the, the idea? I think they were shocked, genuinely shocked. You know, they probably didn't. You know, as I didn't either realise the implications of it. You know, within a couple of months, my dad and mum were driving me down to Prestwick Airport to drop me off to, to go to America. My dad, I'll never forget, my dad was in tears, dropped me mm. off, and I'm like, what, what's up, man? What, what's the problem here? But it hadn't registered, hadn't registered to you that the, the emotion that that might yeah. cause in them. And the significance of that, and my dad, traditional Scottish mm. father, you know, that wasn't a, a normal situation no, for him. No, but... You know, I don't want to be too romantic, but the idea about sending off the young talented ones to Australia or America yeah. wasn't that far back in his memory that yeah. he might have been thinking, geez, I wonder if David's going to come back, whether he'll yeah. stay over there, just no, a change in our family life forever. Definitely. My dad was, you know, of the age where, as you say, he's going away, he's gone away and been potentially been in the army and being conscripted right. and being, you know, involved in that sort of thing. So it was similar in terms of, leaving home, leaving your little village or your little place and, you know, experience the big bad world, obviously. But he backed you? He did. Do you know? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Never, never at once did they say, we don't think you should do this or, you know, it's, I'm not really sure about this. They, they did back my judgment, maybe. Glad to get rid of me at that stage. What kind of place was Indiana then? What, the, the year we're talking about, we need to be clearer about. I think 88, I would, yeah. I'd have been 18 going over, so that would have been 88. And to get there at the time, so Evansville, Indiana, had to fly to New York. So Presswick to New York, New York to Detroit, I'll never forget, Detroit to St. Louis. They picked up in St. Louis and it was a three-hour drive to Evansville by oh. two lads who were on the team. So and you, a, you've never been abroad before and you've got to yeah. do, you've got to do th- one, two, three, four airports yeah. and then do a three-hour drive to get exactly. to the place. Well, it, was, it should have been three airports, but it was actually four airports because I got to... New York, and as I said, my first flight, and I thought I had to get my bags after every flight. <laughs> so I'm in, I can't, I was either LaGuardia or JFK, and I'm in there, I'm waiting on my bags. And I actually ended up with one of my bags, I don't know how. And I said to the lady, I've, I've not got my other bags. And she said, You don't need your bags, your bags will go all the way. If you've never travelled before, I completely exactly. understand that. So I missed my flight. <laughs> and I was saying, I've missed my flight, this is what's happened. And the, the lady at the, whichever airline it was at the time says, you missed your flight, I'm really sorry. Tough luck? Tough luck. No. Know. But obviously saw my panic softened and said, look, there's, there's a flight leaves from LaGuardia or JFK, whichever one it is, in two hours. She didn't say you get your ship across the Big Apple yeah. and you might just get on that I flight. Thought, yeah. So <laughs> she sorry the flight for me. <laughs> but what's your next step? How did you get across the city? Just had to jump in the cab. Well, one of my bags <laughs> to get to uh, the airport. To and you've got the dollars. Play. I love this. I must this. have had, yeah. This is Scottishness. We, 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 whatever happens to us, <laughs> we, we survive, we find, find a solution. A way, yeah. 
well, it was like, so I got this cab across New York and it was like the stereotypical Scotsman abroad, you know, driving through New York, watching the lads playing basketball on the courts as you're driving through them. But it is a really stunning sight that first time yeah, you see it at that age. It's, it was. It's eye-opening and I st- listen, I still find it magical now. Yeah, same. And it was, it was part of the journey as it turned out, you know, and part of the story mm. and probably shows my naivety as well, going out there and, you know, where I was at the time, but looking back, you know, made, got the flight, got the connection, turned up in St. Louis, obviously off a different flight as well mm-hmm. because I'd missed mm-hmm. the other flight. So the lads that were looking for me... People that are listening nothing, here yeah. need to realise there's no mobile phones, no mobile so you phone. can't be communicating with the sales. I'll see you, lol, missed my flight, lol, exactly. see, you in, <laughs> see you in six hours. So I turn up in this, get off this flight, turn up in this airport, walking through St. Louis airport, didn't even know who was <laughs> meant to be meeting. I knew their names, but I'd never seen them or met them or anything before. So we just bumped into this lad who became still as a good friend of my great friend of mine. Ian O'Brien, an Irish lad, says, are you David? I says, yeah. He says, come with us. But I didn't actually probably think of the gravity, you know, what was going on and where I was and if I missed the flight or if I didn't meet the people, how I was going to get out of it. You just kind of plough on and it's, it's all seemed to fall into place. Sensational. Meant but, to be in that case, meant yeah. to be. And, and Indiana is very different from the Big Apple with the basketball courts and the yellow cabs yeah. and the high buildings because it's sort of very troubled past. Yeah. It's a difficult uh, place. How quickly did that jacket fit around your shoulders? Getting used to... Difficult. Mm. Difficult, first of all, temperature, heat, you know, all that goes with that. Jumping into the humidity and the heat that's, you know, as Indiana summer, that was a real shock to the system. You know, going in, landing, straight away pretty much into the football environment, trying to train and play and be involved in you know, circumstances that were so radically different to what I was used to, plus taking into account the culture and, you know, all the other changes that were going on as well. So that was a real shock, but luckily enough, you know, surrounded by people who looked after me, really, and made it easier for me to settle in. Yeah, looked after you is one thing, but did they understand you? Well, fortunately, there was the Irish lad who'd picked me up, Ian O'Brien, who's, he really helped me settle in. He was obviously a, a Celt to by nature so he kind of understood where I was coming from took me under his wing and, and helped me and there was a couple of English lads who one who'd gone at the same time as me and one who was a year ahead who's actually working at Brighton now his first team coach Paul Nevin so there's um, I was really lucky again you know going into an environment where I had people you both. must have been encountering Americans because yeah, you know, I, I, I almost have let upper class English diction I'm very easy to understand got to say something 17 times in most part of America don't and I'm not speaking quickly um, using normal words and they just look at you blankly yeah and that was definitely the case at the start it was very much you know I had to just completely change the way I was speaking completely change the way I was talking slow everything down you know use the right words and you know and actually just to be able to communicate because it was it was a different language completely different it's a good lesson in communication yeah for somebody who's going to go on to be communicating with groups now of people yeah. of a different age from a different background different maturity it, it teaches you a little bit about words and, and how to use them and when to slice into messages and make them short and easy and yeah, comprehensible exactly. and, and just the culture that you you know for people who are so similar in terms of you know they speak the same language they're sort of similarly minded but mm. just the differences you know in terms of culture and what, what they think and what we think and you know, I was used to so you're ingesting litres of Gatorade or water to cope with the dehydration and whatever 
Luckily, it was a slow-paced league and you were playing at the back. You didn't have to... Wait, wait, wait. I've got a trivia question. Who's currently the all-time leading scorer <laughs> in a single season for Evansville University? That let's, let's name him. <laughs> David Weir. It's you. Yeah. Well, as you said, started as a defender and um, played the majority of my first season as a defender and then we had an injury to a lad who was the top scorer in the country at the time, who was a very good player. He was a senior. I was a freshman, so the first year. He got injured, which was a disaster for the team. So the coach had you know, the idea of putting me up front and... For the rest of my time in Evansville, I was a striker, so I went from going out as a centre-back, recruited as a centre-back, to play as a centre-back, to all of a sudden becoming a striker. And, you know, it was, surprisingly enough, I was really successful. How did you take it to it? I mean, your record says you took to it, but yeah. what did you do? It came, to be honest, I found it really easy, and I really enjoyed it. I think, you know, with hindsight as well, with your kids, or if you're teaching anyone to, or try to persuade anyone to be a football player, you tell them to be a centre-forward. <laughs> He's used to in the world. Oh, yeah. Get out of here. That's where, you want it. That's where you want to play. And I loved it. I enjoyed, you know, being the focal point. I was never quick, never have been. There was never any debate about that. But I, I was always capable of playing. And it's a really good feeling scoring, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's the best feeling. It's the best feeling. And I, I was actually okay at it. And, you know, technology wasn't great at that time, but I've still got one video of a sort of highlight tape of my time in America and one season in particular when we got to the final four and you know we did really well and there's a sort of collaboration all the goals throughout the season so a couple of mine made it on there and just you know that'll be 30 years ago now probably and the memories that you kind of get and the, the goals that you scored you know are still still in the, in the memory bank there somewhere. When you say final four you don't mean final four of America. Yeah it was. For a small school you know Evansville Indiana's you know, I don't know what the equivalent over here is, but to get to the final four and actually compete, I think it was Rutgers, which is Alexi Lalas was playing. Um, UCLA, I think, which would have been sort of Brad Friedel, Joe Max Moore, that, those type of lads. And I think it was, I might get this wrong, North Carolina or NC State or something like that. So they were real top-level schools. And then Funded better, attra- yeah. magnets for attracting talent, yeah. much bigger schools than... Yeah. Evansville, no. Yeah, definitely. And then we were, you know, we'd done well that season, been ranked number one for a lot of the season as well. So, you know, done well, but going into that final four was a big achievement. But unfortunately, that's where it ended. We never, we got, we lost the Rutgers in the semi final. Had it been today, you'd have graduated straight into MLS and you'd be, you'd be Toronto or you'd be Seattle or you'd be LA or whatever. Was there a thought about building a life there? There was, and as you said, if there was an outdoor league at the time, I mm. probably would have. Mm-hmm. But I actually played in the Senior Bowl, which is the, the elite of the draft now, yeah. yeah. I played in the Senior Bowl, but it was an indoor league. So we, we had a week in Baltimore, sort of, you know, going through the testings and playing in the games for this indoor league, which was never going to suit me. Because? But just because I don't think it suited my game at the time, and the, the smaller, quicker players seemed mm. to be the ones that were... Mm. Um, more suited to that type of game. So it never really worked and it never really was going to work. But I had a good time in Baltimore and got to know that a little bit, which was nice. And this is, there's, a, there's a mysterious little sphinx like smile oh, on your just, face there. Which... Just you always, the, the thing about those days, and as you got older in America, you just, when you travelled, like we travelled, 
with Evansville all over. We went to San Francisco, we went to Colorado Springs, we went to um, Portland, Oregon, you know, and when you go and, you know, it came back to later in my career, you get to experience these places, you get to get out and about, and I don't mean partying, going nuts, but just actually seeing them and experiencing them and getting a feel for them. It's not airport, hotel, yeah. hotel, airport. Yeah, which a lot of the time, professional football, it can be. All the time. You probably, because you listen in, you've told us you're generous enough to share that, and Peter Beardsley was one of our guests. He talked about Vancouver Whitecaps didn't have the budget for a big en masse movement across the country, so they'd all set off on different paths and arrive yeah. at games at different yeah. times, and not everybody would make it, and sometimes oh, the strips wouldn't yeah. make it. I take it that it was not, or was it the same? No, there, it, was, was it? it was well organised in terms of, you know, we'd have long bus journeys, and I mean long bus journeys. We'd travel to Wisconsin, we'd have 12 hours on the bus, you know, so it'd be coolers full of Diet Coke, Coke, and, you know, you'd be stopping at McDonald's for your lunch and, you know, Burger King for your dinner and, you know, getting to the hotel late at night and then playing two games in two days. to play a game. To play two games in two days, you do, yeah. So, but... Your legs must have been absolutely just stiff as boards. You never, you know, nowadays lads need second day recoveries, three day, you know, whatever it is. And we, we play two games back to back and there'd be very few changes. And, you know, if you got injured, it was usually a kick. It was never a... Muscle pulling muscle up. Or, or anything like that, no. So I think when you start to question some of the methods today, I think you, you remember what, what you used to be able to do. And, you know, I think there's, there's maybe a balance somewhere in between. Is there a possibility that we refine athletes and, and fine tune them so much now? to make them a higher level performance that they're, they're maybe less durable I think there is I think and you know the mentality of you know if you tell people often enough you need this and you need that then I think invariably they'll start to believe you but we you know we would play back to back games in the heat and in the temperatures and then you know in the off season we would we would drive to so from Evansville we'd drive to St Louis so get up drive to St Louis three hours in a car jump out of the car play a game and drive three hours back because mm. that was the nearest game that we mm. could get that was of a decent level. So just to keep you taking over for fun or whatever. Just or... game, yeah. So it's. Just, I think there's you know definitely obviously you've got to look after yourself and the the sports science and the methodology that's available. Everyone's got to be utilised, but I think there is a balance in terms of athletes actually pushing themselves and what you are capable of. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Outside the football, what did America do to you, do for you? It just it made me grow up, I think that was the biggest thing. It made me realise, you know, that there was a big wide, wide world out there. I was fortunate in that Evansville had a, a massive international community of students. So it was a hub of international students coming to the States. There was, you know, lads from Japan, there was lads from Tanzania, there was lads from Malaysia, you know, Ireland, England, you know, obviously the Germany, the European countries as well, but it was just a mass mix of cultures and people and and obviously great American people as well. So mm. just the exposure you get to, you know, the people and cultures and, and experiences and getting to travel and see all these places within the States and mix, you know, with the you know, the people from out with the States as well. It was just a it was just an unbelievable experience. Was it without bumps? I mean if if I remember my first exposure there as we went across which was 94 for the World Cup. We bought a ticket. My wife and my brother and I, we just went for the fun of it. The, the differences in people's attitude or behaviour, not only from us, but across the States, you know, as you changed, was, was, was pretty radical. What did you see in terms of the society and the politics? Very much how, as we said earlier, how similar the people were in terms of how easy it was to get on with them, the Americans in general, and how welcoming they were and how friendly they were. But... Also, the differences, you know, the university was on one side of the tracks. You crossed the motorway and then it was, you know, the the black area. You know, that's basically how it was. The, You know, there was a, an area of the city that was, you know, predominantly black and that was just kind of how it worked. It was almost like there was a dividing line within the city of, you know, the the sort of backgrounds of the people, the projects or, or whatever, you know, they wanted to call them. And, you know, that it was very, very different in terms of the actual culture and when I was fortunate enough to travel we'd go with friends in the holidays and drive mm-hmm. so we'd drive to Denver or we'd drive to spring break in Florida and you'd go through wherever it be Alabama and pull off a pet when you drive into some of these places and there'd be you know people walking around you know with no shoes on and just the actual differences and and what is normal for these people it was just it was mind blowing really when you look back at yeah, I find it a lot to take in I find it difficult yeah. to because it is you know a, a giant mixing pot of ideas and wealth and poverty and discrimination and hope and ambition it's, it's I find it really hard to assimilate and it's such a gigantic nation too which must be part of the cocktail of its attraction but you know, it definitely leaves me stunned yeah. and, 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 and also there seem to be fewer people, I imagine, in the States that look upon that poverty or that division with shock or surprise, yeah. and that I feel would be the case in yeah. the country we were born in. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's the way it feels. No, I think it is. I think that's that's genuinely the case. It's very much, you know, what they're used to and how and they see it as, as being normal. But you arriving there and seeing it and you know, try to be involved in it, it was very yeah, you know, it is a shock to the system, but you, you very quickly you adapt and, and it does become normal and you there's so many great things about it 
you know, the extremes are, you know, this is fantastic to travel and what you see and how you're treated and stuff. And then you also look and you see the, the other side of things and you go, well, that, I'm not sure that that can be right. But it mm-hmm. is, there are such big extremes in the country. But, but overall, you know, it's such a fantastic experience. And I'm like you, I, you know, every time I go back and I look forward to the experiences, the cities, the the people and, and, and the sport as well, you know, whereby the... You know they make it so attractive, um, and and then you, you so you come home and it's with a sense of um, you know this has been great for me and and maybe I could have stayed in other circumstances, but you come home for what reason? To play football, and I, I didn't come home thinking I wanted to stay. I came back thinking I'm ready to play football. You mm. know I'd had a degree of success as a player. I was first team All American, which was you know the best level that. I could really be out there, so I had a bit of confidence in myself, you know, probably I didn't have when I left. Is that the biggest change? Yeah, definitely. I'd not changed as a player, I was still the same player, but I just probably gained a little bit of confidence in myself and a belief that, you know, I could be a professional footballer. Mm. So came back with the aim of doing that. I'd written to letters to English clubs, hoping for a trial. I'd got one arranged at Leeds United, probably one of the only clubs that go back to me. Mm. So I was looking forward to that. Came back home to Falkirk. Um, in the meantime, my dad phoned Falkirk unbeknown to me, saying, could David come in and trial or train mm-hmm. while he was, before he went to trial? And Jim Jeffries, the manager at the time, says yes. So basically my dad threw me out of the house and, <laughs> and at the training ground. Once he got his son back, he was keeping him local. Yeah, exactly. Never mind this lead stuff. Yeah. And turned up at Falkirk. Started training there, did pre-season. So I was in the dressing room with all the young lads. I was 22. I was in with the 16, 17-year-olds, which I loved. I enjoyed it. And did a pre-season. Played a couple of sort of bounce games and I was offered a contract within probably two or three weeks. Now, football's quite a sort of... Um, it's, not, it's a school hard knocks, but it's also full of dry and caustic humour were you dug out a little bit for being the American yeah, kid of course I mean I, you come back and had four years in the States pretty much and your accent changes a little bit you've got a few <laughs> words that you probably shouldn't be saying and you know what a dressing room's like at the best of times so and I in my dressing room at the time who, who were they John Hughes Ian McCall you know like lads who were quiet shy retiring characters so you know it was a very Mixed by, I mean, through that Falkirk dressing room, Frank McAvenny, Morris Johnston, you know, like some real big characters and some really interesting people came through. So I was this young kid coming back from America, mixing with all these sort of people that I'd be watching on TV very, you know. Did they make you prove yourself a little bit more than might have been the case if you'd, you know, gone through a, a maybe a more traditional route? Nah, they were great. Like, you know, the, the most important thing, I think in any sort of dressing room as you, you're one of them and I felt like I'd had four years of being one of them, you know, in a dressing room. So I, I and your football obviously. You knew, I know you yeah. you knew and I think there's a there's leadership in you. I think that that's innate, I think not learned. So I suspected that you'd be able to cope with it. But I wonder if they'd maybe just taste you a little bit more to see I if you were I think they always do, but I think I was always I was confident enough in my football that I knew that that would I'd be I'd be able to stand on one two feet and and you were tested you're constantly tested in football that's that's the nature of it you're tested every Saturday afternoon you go over the white line that's the you know that's the hard bit really you know ultimately that's the test when you got on the pitch and you you've got to stand side by side by them I'm going to do this later on for somebody at Everton but Morris Johnson is it my is my memory correct that he had a superb 
time when you were in the same team with him at Falkirk that he he was as as alert and as classy as at the other stages of his career and that he really excelled with you guys at that stage. He did. I think it was a, a sort of Indian summer for Morris as well. He came back, you know, he'd been in England and probably hadn't gone the way he'd wanted to go and he just came back and he enjoyed his, his football. You know, he was, all, he was a big name, big profile, you know, a lot of attention around him, but as a fellow professional, he was outstanding. You know, he did, did that detract from his ability? I, I always well, it felt to me when I was watching him that the whole, particularly the Rangers Celtic thing, stopped people from saying, look at his, his technique, look at his knowledge of what to do with the ball, yeah. look at the kicks he'll take, yeah. look at his goals record. I always thought he was a very, very good footballer. He was, and that, that was the biggest shock, because he's a goal scorer, obviously, but... He came to Falk, he was that little bit older, that little bit wiser, and he, and he was he worked so hard in training every single day. And he ended up playing as a midfielder for Falkirk because he was such a good footballer. Mm-hmm. And he was just, you know, he genuinely was really impressive day in, day out, and in the games as well. And we had a really good season at Falkirk, I think we finished fourth in the league at the time, mm-hmm. in the Premier League. You know, and he was he was a big part of that, and allied to the others. You'd gone back to right back then? I was right back, centre back, kind of depending on who was available, who was playing, and you know. Well, I suppose the obvious question is, how was it if your partner John? I have to ask you about John. Yeah, he, he was inspirational, John. I've, I, you know, people often ask who was the best player you've played with, who was the best captain, who was the, you know, the best leader you've played with, and there's no leaders around. But he was, you know, very much a leader, very much somebody you'd want to follow in the dressing room. You know, he'd, he'd always chat to you during the game, before the game and get you motivated, get the team motivated and you know, he really was a, an impressive fella and it's no surprise he's gone into management, it's, it's probably a surprise the way he coached and the way he gets his, his football values yeah. attract me he loves to yes. have the ball down, he play does. it properly. And he's got his beliefs and you know, as a footballer he was probably the opposite. For know, those listening in England, he's also the man who took his clothes off and streaked in front of the BBC yeah. cameras at Parkhead, I think, yeah. which I think would have probably been one of his more mild escapades in general. It was a character, and as I said, that dressing room was full of characters, you know, some of the people that were, you know, in and around that dressing room came and went, and it was a great, you know, learning experience as a footballer, and, you know, just these people that have been at some great clubs and round about great places, worked with great managers and played against and with some great players so for me as a football fan turning up I, I was walking around with my, you know getting my eyes opened every day Is it a bit of a game changer in your life that you know you, you, you make it to the Scottish Cup final with Hearts and, and, and you win it and you know the way that you get through um, the semi-final and who you beat in the final seems to me to have had quite a lot of repercussions for what's ha- what happens to you in later life yeah. It was it was I mean Hearts Again, Jim Jeffries moved on to Hearts, so I followed them there, and he reinvigorated Hearts. Hearts were a bit of sleeping giant. We became competitive in the league, you know, with Rangers and Celtic as it was at the time. Good Rangers and Celtic teams, and we were a really good um, Hearts team, and we genuinely thought we had a chance of winning the league, only to sort of fall short at the last hurdle. Just not and far that, short, eh? And that was Hearts's modus operandi at the time. It was always falling at the last hurdle. So the cup final, after a couple of disappointments in previous cup finals, was expected to be pretty much more of the same. So actually win, obviously a massive relief to start with, because you know you don't want to be associated with that failure again. And the, the outpouring for the fans and the you know the city in general was was incredible. You know we 
obviously won it, celebrated, came back to Tynecastle and then went into the city the next day on an open-top bus and the amount of people, you know, driving down round Arthur's Seat and the mound and, you know, along Princess Street was, it was an unbelievable experience, the amount of people that came out to see Hearts finally win the trophy after so long. Was Arthur's Seat somewhere you knew quite well? Yeah. <laughs> Jim Jeffries used to have us running around there regularly and in pre-season, both with Falkirk and Hearts. Around it or up it or what? Up all, it? all over it. And <laughs> but the abiding memory is, you know, finally finishing, coming down, Jim's car in the car park, <laughs> making that last run and he opens up the boot and there's a case of tenants lagging in the boot. Oh, hey, that's proper man management. That's Exactly. Oh, he's but... great, Jim. He's, he's very old school and very traditional, but, you know, great values. And it was always the case, of, right, you've got two two runs left. You can do two doublers or you can do a treble, what do you want to do? So he always gave you the ownership, how you wanted to finish, <laughs> what you want. And, and for anyone outside Scotland who's listening, Arthur's seat is a giant ex-volcano in the middle of Edinburgh. Uh, but I also want a wee bit more of the tension of Celtic Park that day, because your yeah. cup final's at Celtic Park, isn't it? It was, yeah. And you, so you beat Falkirk in the semi-final. Falkirk in the semi-final, yeah. Which they fluke one in to equalise, don't they? Is, yeah. Is it, is Kevin it, McAllister. Uh-huh. Kevin was outstanding on the day. I just remember Kevin, a big Falkirk hero. And I, you know, growing up in Falkirk, obviously, the pressures that are associated with that playing in the game. I think I was captain of Hearts that game, and playing against your hometown team. So there was it was a, there was a lot of mixed emotions in the game, and it was at Ibrox that game as well. So it's funny how how things work out, and eventually got through. Lucky to get through to be honest. Because he scores an absolute. He scores an unbelievable goal, and he's, he had an unbelievable game. I can remember Gary Naismith tells the story of Jim Jeffries having him pinned up against the wall in the dressing room at half-time because of how much um, fun Kevin McAllister was having in that game and, you know, try to explain to Gary what he needed to do to stop that. But Kevin was unplayable. In firm terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kevin was unplayable and, you know, scored an unbelievable goal and carried Falkirk, really, and they deservedly probably should have got through at the final. But you, you guys get two we goals in four yeah. minutes and yeah. win 3-1, but... It's also, it's a tense game. It's Walter Smith's last game for Rangers, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it was. And that team, you know, that, that had been put together, there was McCoy's, there was Loudrop, Goff, you know, I hope I'm not getting any of these wrong. Gorham and goals. Gorham and goals, yeah. So, you know, it, were, it was a creme de la creme, the, the nine in a row Rangers team. And Walter was leaving, sacked, as he says. But now, this, He doesn't say that, does he? Yeah, he does, yeah. At this, at this stage, you don't know him, do you? Not really, only from... Because he's going to be a very him, big, big, big character in your life. And he tried to sign me a couple of times that I learned subsequently from Falkirk and from Hearts. You know, as time goes on, obviously, you find these stories. But at the time, I didn't know him well, no. Obviously, I have a mm. great admiration for him because I was, I'd grown up as a Rangers supporter and, and followed that team, went and watched that team and, you know, supported that team. So, obviously, had an affection for him and the team, but didn't know him well enough at that time or at all, really. And if I remember my... Match, right. There's a small penalty incident towards the end of yeah. the... Uh, well, it's actually 20 years. Now, I'm a great fan of referees. I'm a great fan of referees. So I, I think the referee called it right, but you may have a different view. I don't know you. No, I'm talk us, talk us through the minute-by-minute, play-by-play. Well, it was very late in the game. We, we, Stevie Fulton actually scored, I think, before three o'clock. That was the sort of claim to fame. You know, we got, had a penalty and scored before three o'clock had even come round. So it was a great start to the game. Um we scored again early in the second half. Stefan Adam, a great French player, had done really well for Hearts, scored in the game. 
Rangers come back into it. McCoy enters the fray as usual, scores, and then late on in the game, Rangers are attacking, as you can imagine, trying to rescue the game, and a clash between McCoy and Weir on the edge of the box. <laughs> this is very cute. Willie Young, the referee, <laughs> very good friend of mine, subsequently. <laughs> And on the day. It's outside the box. But it definitely was. It was outside the box. I'm convinced it was. And Coy still tell you a different story. But they got a free kick on the edge of the box. Not a penalty. It comes to nothing. And we won the cup. Which, from, you know, from... I, I, I guess on that night you don't think about having been a striker in Indiana or... You know, your dad phoning Jim Jeffries mm-hmm. up. But, 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 you know, what's that moment like from lifting the cup forward until... You know, you go to bed that night. What happens? Madness? Friends and family first? Yeah, well, it's interesting that the coach, or my coach in the States, was at that game. So he came to the game. So he was there. So that was quite nice in terms of... Fabulous. You know, the kind of... The symmetry of that. So he was actually at the game. So you do, obviously, interact with your friends. your invitation? Yes, yeah. Fantastic. He came over and he watched the game. And um, that was great, you know, to kind of do that. And then... We were on a bus after the game, heading, but it's 20 years actually, 20 years this year, and we're having a reunion in a couple of weeks actually um, for the game. So we've got a bus back to Tynecastle to have a reception at the stadium. And coming along Gorgie Road, you'll know Gorgie Road, mm. coming along Gorgie Road, the boys had obviously had a couple of beers, as you do. And <laughs> the fans again were starting to crowd the streets, and the bus came to a stop, you know, it basically couldn't move along Gorgie Road, probably half a mile from the stadium. And some of the lads started getting out on the through the sunroofs and on the top of the bus as so the bus was driving be. in. So it was it was really surreal when you think back to what actually went on and, you know, probably not things you'd be able to do these days or, or get up to these days, but I thoroughly approve. Some good there's actually some good T V footage. I think the lads came back and I think it was Hazel Irvin and Chick Young. Um, Scottish reporters um, interviewing the lads as they came off the bus and some of the states that, that they encountered when they came off. One or two shandies had been had. One or two had. shandies were taking them up. <laughs> Hopefully you enjoyed that big interview which was first released as an exclusive to our socios 12 months ago. If you'd like to get these interviews on the first day that they're available... It's time for you to join us, to become a socio, and for only £2.99 a month, you will get an exclusive big interview, plus regular mini-documentaries, not only all ad-free, but all featuring me, and bringing you interesting, funny, and sometimes scandalous things from Spanish football. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. That means that once you join you will have a treasure trove of interviews with funny, elite, interesting, revelatory top-class footballers. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast. You will help to keep us on the road interviewing people and sending that content for your delectation. If you go to the gym, you'll be slimmer. If you've got a dog, he or she will thank you. If you've got a TV, you can turn it off. And listen to this instead. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, 
there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.